Hello everyone and welcome to the Fierce Club. This is episode 94, we're in September 2017 and we're talking about the crisis in Venezuela as well as its causes and uh, context. Hello everyone and welcome to the Phileas Club. My name is Patrick Beja and this is a show where we cover uh, world news, te uh, not tech news, that's my, my other passion, uh, but we cover world news and we try to get people from different countries and different cultures and different backgrounds to get together and talk about what's been happening in the world and mostly tell us how uh, their part of the world uh, saw it and reported on it and thinks on it on, on the big stories. So that's what we usually do on the regular shows and then we often have uh, specials where we focus on one specific country or uh, thing that's happening or story or uh, you know one specific uh, item of discussion that we try to cover a little bit more in depth. And this is one such episode. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Venezuela and what's been happening in the country over the past year, I think we're probably going to have to talk a little bit about what's been happening for the past few years if we want to have a, a clear picture. And uh, to help us uh, see a little bit more clearly, well, not to help us, but to tell us what's been happening there, uh, I'm very glad and uh, and happy to welcome uh, Saul Gonzalez, who was recently, well, who lived in, in Venezuela until recently. Uh, how are you doing, Saul? Hello, Patrick. Thank you very much for, for the invitation. Um, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, just to explain a little bit, um, you were in Venezuela until about a month ago, and then you left, and you're currently in uh, Colombia. And um, you are, if you if you have a, a uh, if we're getting a average to bad sound quality, uh, I apologize mm -hmm. in advance. We're we're sort of put all of this together, kind of. Uh, uh, it was a little bit difficult to put together, but I'm really glad that you can uh, be here and tell us about what's been happening on the ground there, uh, because I think a lot of people, myself included, don't really understand, and we've only heard like. Venezuela is a mess, and that's it. So before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself for the audience? Yes, of course. I am Venezuelan. I was born and raised in Venezuela until uh, 2006. Uh, I'm a computer engineer originally. And then in 2006, I got a scholarship to study in Japan to go study game design. So I lived in Japan from 2006 to 2012. And then I went back to Venezuela, uh, been working there until only last month when I, I was finally able to leave Venezuela, as, as most people are trying to do, because the, the crisis there is, is really bad. So we'll get into the context and the origins of the crisis. But just so people understand uh, your situation, when you say you left Venezuela, you're not like on holidays. Like what led you to to leaving and, and how did that work? Okay, well, the, the situation in Venezuela is is pretty bad right now. I mean, you, you could say it's, it's the biggest humanitarian crisis in the Americas at, at this moment, but it's been getting bad and worse over the past decade, at least. So most people, especially young people, who had a college or high school education, they've been looking to, to emigrate. 
So, so what we're having now on top of, of everything is also a kind of migration crisis where most young educated people are leaving the country because it doesn't really afford them any, any opportunity. So all my friends, all my friends from college live in, you know, all over the world now because no one wants to, to stay in Venezuela. So, so yes, I'm not in holiday. I, I moved out. And for me, the priority was get out of Venezuela somewhere and then settle in the, in the specific country. It was, was a secondary concern. And that's, that's the case for most Venezuelans. So just, just leave, just get out. Uh, I, I'm sort of hearing a kind of hint of get out while you can um, in your <laughs> voice. Is that the case or am I reading something into it? Well, it, 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 it depends. It's, it's certainly getting, getting worse as, as, as time passes. So certainly, you know, you could reason that the, more, the, the longer you take, the more dangerous it is for you and the harder it is to, to, to get out. So, so yes, for me, it, was, it, it has a sense of, of getting out while I still can because mm. it's, getting, it's going to get worse. So I have a few friends uh, who were originally, well, not a few, but at least one who is originally Venezuelan. Venezuelan. He's been living in Paris for a while and he was trying to get his parents to leave for months and months. And it was really difficult. Uh, again, just to make it clear for the people listening, are you uh, leaving because the economy is tanking and you can't buy food or are you leaving because it's dangerous physically and there are, uh, you know, uh, uh, there is a revolution like uh, uh, atmosphere or what, what? Why exactly are people leaving in so big numbers? I mean, it, it, it's all together. I mean, in, in, in the past few years, people will leave because they, the, the economy is, is tanking and they will not see opportunities to, to find a good job. But more recently, it's more basic than that. The, the country is really dangerous right now. It's, it's the most dangerous city in the Americas, if not the, the world. Uh, I mean, you get uh, 25,000 people killed every year just by, by regular crime. Uh, so, so personal safety is a big concern. And, and this has been for years now. And more recently, it's getting even worse with the lack of food and lack of, of medicine. So, so yeah, it's just getting hard to, you know, to just eat enough and, and have a healthy life. And if you get sick with, with something that's a little bit hard to treat or that medicines are not available in Venezuela, as is the case with most medicines, your life could, could really be at, at risk. And, and for me in, in particular, I also, my job depends a lot on, on the internet and telecommunications in general are, are breaking down in Venezuela because not enough maintenance is, is done. So, so it's a case where, you know, life is hard, it's getting harder. And if you, if you look a little bit in the future, it's going to get worse, eventually non-sustainable. So yes, there is a sense of, of you know, getting, you, you just need to get out if you want to, you know, keep, um, keep living. So, so it sounds like uh, from what you're saying, we'll get to the to the context and the cause of all of this in a minute. But it sounds from what you're saying that the 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 source of all of it is uh, uh, economic. It's an economic crisis that is leading to all of these issues. That's why I, what I'm um, gleaning from what you're saying, um, and the causes are mostly that the economy is not working. Um, 
so first of all, is that the case? And second of all, I'm really curious to hear from you directly how difficult was it to get out of the country and why was it so difficult? So um, three questions, I guess. Is it actually an economic crisis only? And, uh, and then how hard was it to leave? Okay, well, for, it, it is a big economic crisis. And for most people, the, 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 the direct consequences on, on people's living are, are, are due to the economic crisis. But really, the economic crisis has its own cause on the political crisis, which is right. that in Venezuela, we don't really have an accountable government anymore. We, we have a dictatorship that does whatever they want. And basically, they, they're mismanaging the economy in, 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 in horrible ways. And I don't think mismanaging is, is the correct word. Basically, there's really no economy in Venezuela. The economy was completely destroyed. What, what we have is a flow of oil, I mean, of oil money coming in, which is completely handled by the, by the regimen in, in whatever way they, they see fit. Mostly it all goes to their own pockets or it goes to, to fund the means for them to, to stay in, in power. So, so there's mm. only scraps left for, for everyone else. So yes, we have a huge economic crisis, but it's, it's not a crisis that is particularly hard to solve. You know, we use some, 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 an, an accountable, democratic, decent government in place. We will not have an economic crisis. Okay, so we'll get we'll get to to the root causes of all of this and how bad it's been getting, uh, as I said in a little bit. Uh, but more immediate concern for you, uh, thankfully, in the rearview mirror, but for a lot of people <laughs> still living in Venezuela. Um, yes. How how hard was it to get out? Like that's something that I think might give the the measure of how bad the situation is for other people. Um, how did you do it, and how hard was it? Okay, well, it's it's been getting harder and harder. Most airlines are leaving the country, basically because, again, uh, this, uh, we have been in a crisis for, for the past five years. It's just been getting slowly worse. And basically because the, 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 the country cannot guarantee uh, uh, the, the minimum conditions for the functioning of an international airport, more and more international airlines are just, are just leaving the country. Just the the past uh, two months or three months alone, half the international airlines just closed operations. I mean, we're talking about well, Avianca, which is a Colombian airline, left uh, the the country, suspended operations to Venezuela, and and so many others. So it's been getting harder and harder to 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 get a plane to to get out. I mean, especially in my case. It was uh, hard in the sense that we were going to buy a plane ticket and we would quote a price. And then the next day when we were going to actually buy it, uh, since uh, the previous day, three airlines have left the country. Now the, the ticket price had already doubled from, wow. from, one, <laughs> from one day to another. And I didn't actually have the money, so I had to, to take a couple more weeks to, to, you know, to save uh, or get uh, enough money to to live, and and that's uh, that's the case with, with airlines, just getting less and less seats available. Uh, so for for most people, uh, driving to living through land is becoming the the only option, and that's also getting harder to do because actually the the government closed the the frontier with close the border with Colombia, so there's no free access. You had to get special permits. To, to get there. So it's not as hard 
to live as it is in Cuba, in Cuba, where you you basically the government does not allow you people to live, but it's it's getting just harder and harder, and also for economic reasons. As the as the economy gets worse and worse, it's it's harder for people to even afford a plane or even a bus ticket to the to the border. So that's what I was going to ask. Uh, the the government, you're saying they recently closed the borders. Did you have to get a special permit to leave the country? Okay, the the border that's closed is just the, the physical border with uh, Colombia. I mean, the, I mean, it, it, so the uh, land, you can leave. They, they have like yes. a, a, they closed the the border. You can't go. But does that mean if you had walked or taken a bus, does that mean you couldn't have crossed? Uh, that's the case. I mean, as as in in as with many things in Venezuela, it's complicated, and there are some written rules and unwritten rules. But uh, basically, the point is that depending of of where in the border you want to cross. It may be harder or easier. You may have to get a specific permit or not, or you may actually have to, you know, bribe someone to, to be able to, to pass. But, it, it really depends. <laughs> so I, I don't understand. Has the government forbidden people to get out of the country? Has they Have they actually closed the border or, or not? Because it seems like you're saying, well, <laughs> we don't know. It's kind of like playing the lottery. Okay. Uh, the, the government has not forbidden people to leave. Okay. You can, if you can get a ticket on the plane, you can you can leave with without no restriction from the government. Okay. What the government disclosed was was the land border with Colombia because well they claim that is because there were you know a lot of people trading goods between Colombia and Venezuela and this is you know because our, our currency differences are are too big this causes problems for mm. for the government so they didn't want they didn't want that that to happen so they. They closed the border. They did close that border. So specifically the one with with Colombia to avoid some kind of trading issues. But it's not like they're telling people you can't leave the country in any way. Like if you if you take the plane or if you go, you know, uh, uh, if you want to go somewhere else, it's possible. No, that, that's, that's not the case. It's just a, a thing of, of closing the land border with Colombia at, at some specific places. Okay. All right. Um. Okay, so how did you you just got a, a a plane ticket, but did you was it difficult to immigrate into Colombia? Did you have to get a special visa, or are you are you is your situation secure in Colombia? I'm guessing this is a problem as well because people can't just go anywhere they want without the proper um, paperwork. Yes, that's that's exactly an, an issue, and and actually we have been seeing a, a phenomenon. Where most most embassies in Venezuela are are filled with people who are trying to get nationalized. I mean, for example, if you have an Italian or a Portuguese grandfather, with, which lots of people in Venezuela do, then people are trying to get you know Italian nationality or Portuguese nationality. So it's mm. easier for them to to immigrate to a different country. And basically, it it really depends on on the circumstances of of each country. Uh, for example, for Colombia is a particularly hard country to immigrate to. They don't have much immigration-friendly policies. I'm, I'm going to be able to stay here because my wife has a Colombian mother, so she can get the nationality, but okay. that's not the case for, for most Venezuelans. But on the other hand, we're really thankful because the Colombian government has uh, developed a special policy to, to let Venezuelans stay so we're, they're not calling Venezuelans refugees just yet, 
but they're saying you, we we know there's a special situation in Venezuela. We know that a lot of people are going to flee Venezuela, so they're extending to to Venezuelans that meet certain broad conditions a permit to stay for for two years. So that's that's really that's really helpful. So uh, basically, Colombia is welcoming Venezuela, and is essentially what's happening. Yeah, that, that's essentially what's happening, and, and we we are very thankful. There have been other efforts, for example, in the in the border, in the border that was close. Uh, there have been a lot of you know Venezuelan people just 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 fleeing the country, just just leaving as refugees, and uh, people have been setting up uh, food uh, food stalls and and people for place to eat free of charge for Venezuelans because the situation is is, is so dire. And there are even people who cannot live, but they cross the border to Colombia, uh, grab some food, and then go back to to Venezuela. So Colombia has been really helpful in that regard. On the on the opposite uh, side, we have countries like Panama, which I'm sad to say uh, actually increased the the requirements for Venezuelans. Previously, Venezuelans could go to Panama free of visa, and now they're requiring a visa for for Venezuelans. So of course that makes things harder for people who are trying to mm. to to leave the country. So you know you have both sides of the okay. <laughs> equation. Um, you, I, I just want to get a clearer picture of how bad the situation is. Um, so I often say in this show, I'm really dumb, and it's helpful because mm-hmm. it helps people. Uh, see things more clearly when I ask really dumb questions. So here's one of those really dumb questions. Um, You're describing a situation that does sound really dire Um, on the, on the scale of, you know, um, perfectly functioning society to post-apocalyptic breakdown zombie invasion. uh, How, Far along is Venezuela currently? Is there uh, rioting in the street? Is there looting of of uh, stores? Uh, are people you're saying they they almost can't eat properly? Are we to the point where there's a concern that you can't get enough food and you need uh, I don't know I don't even know how it would work, but that people can't <laughs> eat enough. There's not enough food in stores. How bad is it in the very practical sense? Okay, I, I think we're maybe. Halfway there to uh, <laughs> to you know to, to this apocalypse, and de- depending on the part of the country, I think I think what you describe as an apocalypse is, a, is an a, is an accurate situation. I mean, it, it's very heterogeneous. It depends on, on on which part of the country and which part of the city are are you talking about. Uh, but I mean, but there for, are for there are places there are places where there is looting and rioting. Yes, there are places where there is looting and rioting. Uh, there, there have been multiple waves of, of, of rioting of in, in different cities of the of the of the country. Mm. Yes, stores just get looted and, and people, you know, yes, still in supermarkets, still in stuff from from factories. It's, it's just really out of control. There's really no no rule of law in that sense. Okay. Um, all right. So this is definitely a crisis. Um, I think you've been very clear on that. Uh, but I think a lot of people, as I was mentioning earlier, are thinking, yeah, I've heard their stuff happening, but maybe they didn't realize that people are actually fleeing the country in fear of violence, physical violence, and in fear of uh, economical uh, uh, dire situation, I guess. And 
the the reason I think is that yes, it accelerated in 2017, but this has been, as you mentioned, a crisis that has been 10 years in the making. Um, yes. So let's finally get to that point, which I've been teasing uh, since the beginning of the episode of why is the situation like this? Why are you now, uh, you know? I guess the Chavists are saying everything's fine and cool, and the others are saying this is a dictatorship. And I, all right, let let's get into it. So, what led to this whole thing, and uh, how did it happen? Okay, well, this uh, really happened uh, when when Chavez came to power in 1999. Uh, but to give a little bit of background before that. Uh, in the, the 60s and 70s were a great time for Venezuela. We had a 10-year dictatorship from 48 to 58. So in the 60s, we were back to democracy. And we also, the, 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 the oil industry was nationalized and really came into its own. So there was lots of money coming into what, what used to be an, you know, a kind of poor agricultural country. So Venezuela really modernized pretty fast, and there were lots of opportunities for everyone. But thanks to a mix of, you know, well-intentioned, but a little bit naive politicians and, and well, you know, playing all corrupt politicians, there was a lot of money being spent, and some of it was well spent, but none of it was spent in a, in a way that led to, you know, long-term sustainability. So back in the, in the 80s, we had our, our first crisis, which is that, you know, we had had economic growth in the 60s and 70s, and in the, in the 80s there was, uh, uh, you know, things starting uh, going down, you know, the economy started shrinking again, a lot of people starting, you know, to, to, to fall into, into poverty. So there was the beginning of this, you know, discontent, social discontent within the people we, from the 80s and, uh, and the boiling point was in, 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 the, in 89 and in 92. In 89, we had our first you know, episode of, of uh, general rioting and looting in, in Venezuela in 89. And mm -hmm. then in 92, we had an, uh, two attempts of uh, a coup d'etat led by Chavez. Uh, so because Chavez, his, his background is a military background. So in, in 92, he attempted to do a coup d'etat that was quickly contained. The coup d'etat failed, but also due to, to some, you know, really irresponsible politicians that, that were opposed to the current government. They tried to picture this coup d'etat not as an attack on democracy, which is what it was, but as a, I quote unquote, uh, legitimate attempt by the people uh, that want to complain against the hardships of the current government. So by kind of legitimating this coup d'etat, Chavez became this sort of a folk hero who was, you know, fighting for the people. And this enabled him to first uh, get out of jail. He got a pardon by, by this very same, you know, irresponsible politician that, that you know, legitimated him in the first place. And then he was able to, to run for election. And, and he was very popular because of his folk hero status. Uh, so, so he was able to become president in, in 1999. How bad and, was the, before we get to, to uh, a little bit further, how bad was the situation when he uh, tried his coup d'etat for him to be regarded as a folk hero by anyone? I mean, when you have a military leader that tries to take over the government, 
the situation must be really bad in order for people to think, yeah, that guy seems pretty cool. Um, so was the situation already very difficult economically? I mean, at the time, we will have said that it was really difficult, but it was nothing compared to now. Mm, <laughs> I mean, right. I think most people now say we wish we could go back to, you know, to the 90s. So how <laughs> I mean, can, situ- can you give us uh, examples of how, quote unquote, bad it was just so we have a point of reference? Like what were the difficulties? Was it high unemployment? Like what was the, 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 the landscape? Okay. I, I mean, it was, it was bad. Uh, I will say that around 70 percent of the Venezuelan population live in conditions of poverty, and and Venezuela, this kind of poverty means uh, you live in in a slum or a favela. Uh, uh, so you have uh, really precarious housing, uh, and basically it, it's hard to make ends meet. But for the most time, for the most part, people were at least able to to eat. You know, we didn't have uh, widespread malnutrition or or hunger like like we have now so so you know people people were in a lot of people were in poverty a lot of people saw that they, they had few opportunities to 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 leave poverty to to get out of, of that condition but on the other hand people were mostly able to eat and mostly able to to you know uh, uh, mostly healthy and also the the crime situation especially in the slums was bad but not nearly as bad as it is now so of course not an ideal situation uh, a, a pretty bad situation but it's worse now <laughs> it seems like the kind of you know you're saying 70% of the population was living in poverty and a good portion of those in in favelas and slums I, you know when i think of this sure i'm sure it's worse now but when i think of this i can understand that people would get I mean, yes, it looks like a bad idea to get uh, Chavez in power mm-hmm. from here, but from at that point, it, I can understand that people would have thought, "Yeah, let's get someone that's really going to kick everyone in the ass and and change things," oh. right? Yeah, that, that, that's that's exactly the the point. I mean, uh, 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 right now it's it's easy to say it was misguided, and I think it's it, or or you know, uh, uh, I mean, clearly I mean, it, it was you, because it, the situation <laughs> is worse. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, ideally, you know, we will ask, ask, you know, better accountability for for politicians, and and you know, this is a, a complex story because if, if you get down into into you know the the details of it, and and there was actually a movie about this in in Venezuela just last year, but the, the government at the time, which uh, uh, the president was named Carlos Andres Perez, and and he was the president from eighty eight to ninety three. He was actually starting to put some better policies in place, mm. but uh, building sustainable growth, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. So, so one way to 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 read this story is that you know he was actually doing the, the right thing. Uh, he could have been more politically savvy about the way he did things, but in the end, his political opponents used the, the general discontent to you know drive him out of power promote this this coup d'etat against against him for their own political gain. So uh, mm. in a way you could say, okay, j- yes, there was discontent, there was reasons to be discontented, but in the end, you know, this all, all this all this anger got got fooled, you know, into into the wrong place, you know. Led us to, to an even worse place instead of I mean it, it was legitimate, but it led us to, down a, a very bad road. 
Okay. So we'll get back to 99 in a second. Uh, there, there's one thing which intrigued me in what you're saying, which is the infrastructure was really bad uh, in the 90s and, and, you know, people were living in bad conditions uh, and it got worse since. But you're saying you're a computer engineer. So I'm mm. curious... Does it mean you work mostly with mobile uh, uh, technology because that's what the country is equipped with? Or did the internet infrastructure of the country get built up because it's necessary for modern living? Or how does it work being a computer engineer in that kind of low infrastructure country? Okay, well, that, sadly, the, the story of Venezuela is one of inequality. So, like I say, in the, in the, in the 70s or even in the, in the 80s, Uh, parts of the city were very, very well developed. So basically, you know, most cities in Venezuela are split into two. Uh, a part where you have a, a, a normal, modern city equipped with plenty of, of modern infrastructure, the internet and such, and, and you can mostly live as you will live in a, in a developed, you know, uh, developed city elsewhere in Latin America. Uh, and then you have the slums. Uh, where, where again is where 70 or 80 percent of the people live and, and they don't have any, any infrastructure. So mm. also okay. part, part of the cause of, of, of this anger was also, you know, a, a, a difference of class anger. You know, people who live in the slums say, okay, we are, we are poor. We don't have, uh, you know, we don't have good infrastructure. We don't have good housing. And then you have, you know, this 10 or 20 percent of people who, who live in normal houses, who live in normal buildings, who have the Internet. Who, who have, you know, all the, all the luxuries of modern life. So there was also a part of, hey, of, of this anger saying, okay, why do these sorts of people have all these modern commodities and benefits and why we don't? Mm. So, so, so in this case, I have to say, I, 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 was, uh, I am privileged to have been born into a middle-class family that was, you know, on, on, on this side of the fence, on the side that had, you know, access to, you know, decent schooling, decent education and decent infrastructure. Right. So it's about 30 million people in the country. Uh, so yes. I guess it's like five to 10 million who are living uh, with uh, the comfort of modern living and uh, 20 to 25 million who are uh, living in poor conditions. Yes, that's, that's an, an, an accurate description from most okay. of the 80s to until five years ago. Okay, so let's keep uh, moving forward. Uh, 99, what happened in, in 99? Okay, well, Chavez got to power and he was, you know, extremely popular. And he was also very, very lucky to come to power at the same time that there was, you know, a, a huge increase in oil prices. So, so he had access to, to a kind of money that, that no government in the previous 20 or 30 years had access to. So he was able uh, to do... Just to clarify, sorry to, to interrupt. He, when you say he got to power, he was elected, democratically oh, yes, elected, yes. right? Yes, he, he ran and he was democratically elected in, 2000, in 1998. And he, he took power, he assumed the presidency in 1999. Okay. He was democratically elected, yes. All right. So, yeah, he, he came into power. The oil prices were incredibly high. Uh, keep going. Okay. So, so well, he basically started to, he said that, you know, everything that came before him was terrible and had to be changed. Uh, so, basically, he started to, to remake the, the government and, and the whole country, you know, in, on, on his own image or, you know, however he pleased. And he was able to do this because 
he was able to, to spend a lot of, of money, uh, which gave him a lot of popularity. He, he had many, many uh, social programs, which were in many ways good to the people. He went to the slums and started providing a little bit better infrastructure. He also had a lot of what he called missions, which were, you know, programs to give uh, poor people access to food, access to health, again, ways to improve the infrastructure. They gave him credits for them to start their own, their own enterprises. So that's all well, but there was also the flip side to this, which is that the government also became increasingly authoritarian. He started to do away with all the checks and balances that, that the democratic government has. And because he was popular with poor people, which was most of the people, no one really cared uh, that much. Uh, so I mean, could, there was could you no give us uh, examples of how he would do away with uh, checks and balances? Yes. Uh, for example, a very famous example was when he fired all the judges in the in the in all the courts and replaced them with judges that were friendly to him, friendly to the quote unquote revolution. Uh, how so? Okay, just to be clear, he fired all of the judges in the entire country. I'm guessing not every single one, but the 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 bigger ones, uh, and yes. replaced them with people whom he liked. Exactly. And how did that go over? When was that? And did no one say that's not cool? <laughs> okay, well, actually, the, the, a better example will be in 2001, which is that, you know, uh, as, as, as I've been telling you, I mean, as I've been implied, but maybe not a right said, uh, Venezuelan economy is really, really dependent on oil. Uh, you know, more, most, more than 90% of our income comes from, from oil. So basically, oil is, is the way, you know, the government runs and, and basically the way the, the whole economy has been built, which is not good, but that's but it's the case. So uh, basically, the, the, there's this company that handles the oil industry, which is called PDVSA. And this company is, of course, managed by the government and owned by the government. But until 2001, 2002, they had some level of independence, just like, you know, the central bank has its level of, of independence. So mm -hmm. most of the company was run by the same people that had run it, you know, very successfully uh, over the last 20 and 30 years. But in 2001, Chavez says, okay, I'm going to replace all, all, all the managers of, of PDVSA and I'm going to remake PDVSA and make it, you know, be, work more for the people because basically what, what happened in 2001 and 2002 is that, you know, both PDVSA and the central bank are really important to the economy. They have a mission which is to, you know, to guarantee efficient, non-corrupt us of, of, of all the oil income and the, and the stability of the, of the currency. And there are several laws in place that govern, you know, what the, the president, the executive power can do or not do regarding those. And again, in 2001, Chavez said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do away with all of that. I'm going to appoint people I want to the head of PDVSA and the central bank, and I'm going to manage both of those however I want. And of course, there was a lot of opposition to that. And uh, there was uh, nationwide uh, marches and protests against uh, Chavez because of this. And this resulted in 2002 in a, in a brief after of power for Chavez in 2002. I mean, he was removed from power for for uh, three days 
because basically what happened is there was this huge mass of people who were, you know, against Chavez, who say, you know, Chavez, you are doing good things, but you cannot, you know, do away with, with, you know, with these institutions. We had checks and balances, precisely. And there was this huge march, uh, and the march was advancing towards the presidential palace. And it's, it's not entirely clear what the truth is of what happened, but the point is that someone somewhere started shooting uh, at the people who were marching at exactly the same uh, moment that, that Chavez was uh, doing an, a national broadcast. And a lot of people think that, that, that basically Chavez ordered some snipers to, to shoot at people to, you know, dispense, disperse this march. Mm. So what this has uh, uh, as a result is that some military, some people in the military decided that Chavez had overstepped the line. So they moved against the, the presidential palace and, and took over and, and, and had Chavez uh, leave power. He was ousted for, for, a few, for a few days. But what happened is that he was moved to an island off the coast in Venezuela, but over the next two or three days, other group of military people who were pro-Chavez uh, battled the, the other ones and they were able to prevail, so they reinstated Chavez in, in power. So, so basically, so at what that happened point is that, it was at that point it was basically civil war. It wasn't very long, uh, but it was civil war. Yes, uh, in, in the end, happily, th this did not result in a, in a lot of, of bloodshed. Uh, there, there was not not much of. Uh, I mean, there was again this case of, of snipers firing into into you know civilians who were peacefully marching. But other than that, the the, the struggle between between these military factions, to to, to, to many people's surprise was not very overt, but there was no, you know, not a lot of shooting and bombing or firing of artillery. It was more of a thing of, of you know, measuring forces and, and a lot of things that happened, you know, not all the facts are known because there are, of course, many, many lies thrown around. I think we will only know the full history as, as time goes on. Mm. Uh, but the point is that Chavez was, there was a crisis. Chavez was removed from power, then reinstated. Uh, so in a sense, there was a crisis and Chavez managed to, to come out of the crisis more powerful than before, because this also gave him an opportunity to, to do away with, you know, all, all the, all the people in the military that had, that had opposed him so far. So the general so, sense is that, you know, Chavez was, was able to, after this, Chavez was able to do whatever he wanted. So, you know, he just... Uh, after this crisis, he, he said, okay, uh, you know, we had a coup d'etat. I mean, we, I was removed from power. I'm a democratically elected leader, which he was at the time. So I'm now taking emergency measures. Uh, and basically this crisis enabled him to do the thing that he wanted to do in the first place. That was, you know, remove this, this first set of check and balances. So uh, do you think this is incredibly, uh, you know, subjective, <laughs> But yes. do you think he he was initially at least well-intentioned? Do you think that all of those things that seem, uh, to be honest, when we look from anywhere, seeing, you know, the replacement of judges and the authorities managing the money of the country with people who are relatively, you know, who are friendly to him would not look very democratic. But I'm sure that in some people's minds, it's because those judges and people managing the money were favoring the five or 10, you know, the 10 or 20% uh, 
uh, of the middle and high, uh, upper class of the country and not caring about the millions living in the favelas. But do you think he was at least well-intentioned or was he always looking at himself as a, a general getting the power in the country and basically establishing slowly a dictatorship? And again, I understand this is subjective, but what do you think? Okay. Yes, of course. This is all all very subjective. I don't claim to you know to to be the owner of the of the whole hood, and and of course a, every change that he made, every every you know replacement of people, every check and balance that that he destroyed, he he and his supporters always claim that it was necessary for the revolution and that whatever he was destroying, he was destroying because it was bad and he was you know favoring the the oligarch. He he loved to use this word. The, everyone who was not poor or everyone who was not a supporter of him uh, is, is an oligarch. Uh, mm. So so he was always, you know, what, what he and his supporters will claim. If, if, if you let me to give my own personal take on, on this, I think he was well-intentioned in the beginning. Of course, most people, a lot of people say someone who attempts to take power by force, as he tried to do in 1992, can never be called well-intentioned. And, and some people... From, from that moment, from the moment that Chavez was running as a candidate, we're, we're already, you know, predicting everything that everything bad that came later. Uh, but personally, I think he was well-intentioned. And uh, there was also a, uh, someone who was a huge influence in him was Fidel Castro. Mm. Uh, he really look, always looked up to, to the Castros and looked up to, to Cuba. I mean, for me personally, I was, you know, on defense of whether Chavez was was good or bad in the first few years. At the at the moment, you know, I was I was a, a teenager or a young adult. I was eighteen or nineteen at the time, so I, I was not as mature as I now I am now. But I was on defense of whether Chavez was good or bad. Maybe maybe a little bit leaning into 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 hopeful in the sense that it was very his government was very different from those that came before. Uh, but in, in around, you know, 2001, when he started talking about eroding these checks and balances, and especially when he started talking about how how great Cuba is and how great a leader Castro is, is what, you know, that that, that really changed the, the situation for me. That's when I myself started thinking of myself as something for, who is strongly anti-Chavez. Mm. Uh, but uh, as, as a rumor uh, has it, you know, uh, uh, Fidel Castro was a very strong influence in, in him, and he started advising him to, to build his government as a revolution, and especially to to make uh, keeping and holding into power at all costs his main priority. So uh, for him, he started switching from being you know a democratic leader who wants to 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 help people into an authoritarian leader whose priority is first, is stay in power, and second, help people. So there's right. many stories about the first few years in the government, and in, in he had many supporters, and many of them were, were capable people, but many of them started leaving the, the, the government because they realized, you know, this guy, Chavez, is, is, doesn't really care about doing things the right way. He cares just about keeping power. There are many stories about... His people at many levels in the government who started to denounce uh, instances of corruption. And when Chavez did nothing, they, they left. And there's this, also this rumor that Chavez actually favors corruption 
because when when someone uh, someone in the government becomes corrupt, they become complicit in whatever Chavez is doing, so they cannot live as easily. Basically, someone a government a mayor that has been corrupt and Chavez knows, then Chavez could use that to hold it over him and say, if you ever cross me, I will you know I I will use this against you. So mm. he was really building this whole apparatus of, of you know, loyalty to him, loyalty to, to the revolution and to the, re the regime first, and then, you know, doing good things for people second. All right. Uh, you know, I was sighing as you were talking about all of this, because <laughs> it feels like it's so, you know, it's the story that we've seen a thousand times, yes. and every time it it's the same. Um and and the only way of not falling into those traps is to be very scrupu scrupulous about mm. the democratic process, and that's yes. why it's in place. So, uh, all right. So that was early two thousands. Uh, let's move forward to um, you know when, when was it that he passed away? Was it? I, I'm being very, <laughs> very uh, 2012. Oh, 12. Okay. So when was well, it that well, he well, died? Okay. Uh, yeah, 2000... yeah, actually, yes. Uh, to be to be completely clear on this, the, the official figures and, and are 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 questionable. I mean, uh, he got sick in 2012. He went to coup. He he had cancer. I'm not sure exactly where the cancer is. He went uh, to to Cuba to get better. Uh, to get medical treatment in Cuba uh, uh, at late 2012. And in December 2012, it started to, to be widely reported that he had died. And after that point, uh, no one ever saw him again. I mean, there had been like some pictures of questionable veracity of whether <laughs> he was alive or, or not. But the, the general consensus, I mean, most Venezuelans is that he, he died in, in, in December 2012. But the government did not actually announce that he had died and, and hold elections until March 2013. So there's this, there's this you know, okay. questionable facts around his death there. Okay, so around 2012-2013, what was the situation like and what happened in the, in the election? Okay, well, that's, that's an, an, an historic story. Uh, it, basically... Uh, well, the, the, the way of ruling that Chavez has in the first 10 years was not really sustainable. It depended on, you know, having a lot of oil money and, and spending that oil money for to gain popularity, but and also racking up massive national debt. So sorry, around, actually, sorry to interrupt again, but you're saying using oil money to gain popularity. What did he do to gain that popularity? How did he, did he distribute that uh, that money? Okay. Well, uh, as I say, he had a lot of social programs. He did actually improve the, the infrastructure in, in the slums a little bit. And what, by, by the, what I mean is the idea will be, you know, to, to replace the slums for, for affordable housing, you know, uh, sustainable buildings and sustainable housing developments. What he did instead was go to the slums and provide them with gas, provide them with electricity, provide them with, with better roads. So people who were living in poverty really did see their conditions improve. And there was a lot of money going around. So people were able to get a little bit better salaries, a little bit better food. Uh, also, there was lots of, of credits, just mo the, uh, money being given to, to poor people to try and start, you know, 
their own enterprises, their own businesses, or, or just to, you know, again, to improve the, their living infrastructure. The problem with this is that it, it's hard to say is it, whether it was well-intentioned or, or badly or, or, or not as well-intentioned because most of this was not really sustainable. I mean, a lot of people was going to, to spend to people in, in poverty, but they were not really able to leave poverty, especially there were almost no investments done in, in education. And also the investments were not done in, in, a, in a responsible manner. For example, let's say there's a, a, a group of poor people that ask for, for a credit or ask for money to, to, to repair something in their community, and the government will just give them the money, but there was no accountability. Many, in many of these cases, people just pocket the money or, or use it in, a, in an irresponsible way. So, so again, there was uh, money spent in uh, lots of ways that made poor people happy, but that in the long term did not really help them. And uh, and the evidence of that is that now you know most of the of those gains are are you know were 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 destroyed. You know, people are as bad now as they were before Chavez because all the all the investment they they he did in social programs was not sustainable development. It was, you know, right. giving people money to keep them happy. And and also, I say gain popularity because this also, uh, I mean, all this money had very strong strings attached. I mean, Chavez will give people mo- people money by the same. You get this if you keep voting for me, vote for me, and I will give you this, support me, and I will give you this. But cross me, and we will I will take it all away. And, and this was not anti-trust. This actually happened. Uh, Did he actually say this? Did he literally say, "If you don't vote for me, you, I will take away the money"? Yes, he. He. I. I. I I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think he said pretty close to this. And and there's also facts. I mean, there was this in 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 two thousand four. There was this this signature drive to to hold a referendum. Uh, to 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 call for a new presidential election. I mean, basically a referendum to oust Chavez from power, uh, and the opposition had to collect signatures. And the government ha- got a hold of, of this list of signatures, and this becomes became a very famous list because if you were on the list, you will not get access to any kind of government support or any kind of government services. So if you if you actually signed against Chavez. As you were on record as opposing Chavez, then he will he will cut you off and he will you know make your life hard in in any way he could. So so there was also a lot of, of retaliation. All right, so let's get back to 2012, 2000, 2013. Uh, what was the country like and what happened in the election? Okay, well what what actually happened is that the, the oil prices started to 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 go down. So the economy started to, to, to slow down and, and we started to, to, to see, you know, the, the, the consequences of this unsustainable way of, of, of ruling. But in, in a way, Chavez was very lucky because he, he at the right moment not to see the consequences of, of, of his wrongdoing. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, he, yeah. he ruled in you this said, unsustainable you cut way. Off, you cut off a little bit. You said he died at the right moment to not to see the, the, the consequences, right? Yes, Yes, like he was saying, he, he, he was government in an unsustainable manner. And when, when just when the, you know, the chickens were coming home to roost and, and the consequences of this unsustainable uh, development uh, were, were starting to become a reality, he died. So, so he never got on, on any of the blame of it. So uh, in 2013, we had an election 
and uh, Chavez had a, a hand-picked successor, which is Maduro, who is the president now. He, he Before leaving for Cuba, he said in the national chain that he asked the people that in the event that anything happened to him, they should vote for, for Maduro. Uh, so just, it to was, be, uh, just to be clear, yes. he didn't. Um, he didn't. He respected the constitution on the number of terms. I guess he died, so he couldn't. He couldn't have done any otherwise. But he respected the constitution. He didn't change the constitution to stay in power for longer than he should have, or anything like that. Uh, yes, uh, mostly, mostly yes. Uh, he mostly respected the constitution. Uh, he, uh, I mean, he tried to change the constitution several times, but every time he, he tried to hold a referendum to change the constitution. And in 2000, I don't remember if it was 2011 or 2012, but at some point, I mean, he held a referendum to change the constitution in 2007, six or seven, and he lost. So he was not able to change the constitution at the time. He did change it, after all, by bits and pieces over the years. Uh, but in again, I think 2011 or 12, he held another referendum to change the constitution, and this time he won. And what he did was change term limits and to make him able to to be, you know, reelected in indefinitely. Oh, okay. But so he did change the constitution. Okay. He did all change right. the constitution, uh, but but he was not really able to take advantage of that change because he died. <laughs> but uh, successors might be. Yes, successors might be able and, to, and, and to, do, to do that. There, but I, is there suspicion over the way the uh, the referendum was held, or is it clear that it was held uh, democratically and that was actually a, a successful referendum? Uh, I think most people say that uh, yeah, up until 2012, uh, most most of the votes were were correct. I mean, there, there's especially the, one aspect that was not democratic was abuse of public funds. I right. mean, he will very clearly, very plainly use government money to promote himself, to promote his his candidates. So mm. it's it's not really a fair competition, but. Other than that, it is mostly understood that that the election was, you know, the, the, the votes are the actual votes. The numbers are not are not made up. We're okay. not made up. All right. So 2013, his designated uh, successor Maduro is elected. Yes, is elected, and in this case, we first see the first cases in Venezuela of contested elections. Uh, basically, uh, according to the to the you know the general elections board. Uh, Maduro narrowly won the the election, but the general understanding is that actually he narrowly lost. And basically, there were some shenanigans behind the scenes that around are you know allowed him to flip the the scale to to the other side. Mm. He the 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 the, peop, the person who ran against him, Capriles, he's an opposition politician, active even now, and and he denounced the results. He claims that he was that they were fake, that he won. But basically, you know, there, there was not much that, that anyone could do. We we in Venezuela petitioned the, the, the international community to, to do something, but there was not enough interest from the from the international community. So in the end, what happened is that, of course, a lot of people will give you different versions of, of the truth. But I think nowadays, most people in Venezuela, they have, we say that Maduro stole the election and got away with it. 
All right, so that's 2013, and we're getting close to the situation now. I'm guessing it's a steady progression to what to the situation uh, we are in today. Uh, yes. What? How did the situation go? Was it just a continuation of what had happened before without the oil money, um, or how did the situation evolve? And and most importantly, how did we get to and what is happening now in 2017? Okay. Yes. Starting from late. 2013, early 2014 is when we see a real deepening of the crisis, which is that the old money ran out and and the situation is, is worse than before because at least in the in the 80s and 90s, we have a, a, a productive society, we had factories, we had farms, and something that I failed to mention is that during the, the years that Chavez was popular and flush with oil money, he used his popularity to take over of all productive activity in the country. I mean, he he bought or he I don't know what the English word for he this nationalized? is. He nationalized. He yes, he nationalized almost every industry, and I mean all the farms, all the factories. He nationalized, and what invariably happened is that he will put not capable people in place, but cronies in place. And of course, you know, productivity will go down, will, you know, just flatten, go to the bottom. And then, you know, the, all, all the productivity in the country will be destroyed. So, so slowly... just to be clear, just to be clear, you, you mentioned it. Uh, I mean, I think most people understood, but basically... Uh, Chavez was implementing a, a hardline communist uh Uh, um, policy uh, ensemble of policies. He was doing the communist handbook of uh, social change, right? Yes, he calls it socialism. I mean, he calls he call it 21st century socialism. But yes, it's, it's basically communism. He was he was restricted by the constitution, which was still you know a, a democratic, mostly capitalist, you know, respect of, of free of free enterprise, respect of private property constitution. So he had some limits on what he could do. It was not a full armed communist regime. But in the practice, yes, he he was nationalizing most of most of the country. That's an important distinguish, uh, distinguishing, distinguishing, uh, distinction, distinction, distinction. There you go. Um, to, to do because I know a lot of our American audience will hear socialism, and I often say, you know, and they think communism. That's the origin of historically. I think socialism is understood as communism. Um, in France, when we say we're a socialist country, and Europe is a socialist uh, continent. Obviously, it's not the same socialism. I mean, um, it, the, the socialism we have in France might be the, the farthest to the left of the Western world uh, and of the developed countries. But clearly, we have a much more uh, capitalistic, uh, free mm -hmm. enterprise uh, uh, outlook on society and the The, the socialist uh, policies are things like, uh, you know, national education programs, uh, healthcare, uh, unemployment benefits, these kinds of things. But the capitalistic uh, free enterprise, free market aspects of it are very much respected and very important. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a point I wanted to make uh, very quickly. But when you're saying no. Chavez called it 21st century socialism, I think that's in the sense a very common, <laughs> historically common sense of, yes, communism is, is what that uh, basically means when we say that kind of socialism. 
Yeah, I, I personally think, well, I mean, uh, I'm sorry for everyone in the world, but I think Chavez basically ruined the word socialism. And, and <laughs> it's, it's going to be hard for, for anyone from this point on to agree on what socialism actually means. I think the word is now too loaded and means too many differences to many different people. So maybe we, we need to retire the term and change, you know, use different terms to, to more accurately, <laughs> accurately mean what we mean, because yes, it's, it's, it's too loaded now. <laughs> So he nationalizes a lot of the uh, infrastructure industry, uh, farming, uh, uh, factories, all of this. They are not being run properly because there is uh, cronies who don't know what they're doing. So yes. that means that productivity and the economy tanks even more. And then there isn't a in inflow of uh, oil money to artificially keep things going kind of well. Uh, yes, exactly. when Maduro inherits the country, basically, right? Yes, uh, that's exactly right. Uh, so, well, uh, as was implied by what you just said, uh, when Chavez basically, you know, destroyed the, the productive apparatus in the, in the country, uh, it was not as obvious. The consequences were not as obvious because basically he used the inflow of oil money to, to import. So he substituted, you know, national productions With, with imports, which is uh, part of the reason that many, many other countries in Latin America at the time loved him because Venezuela was a great market. You know, he had lots of money and no stuff, so he had to get stuff from, from everywhere else. So the point that I'm getting at is that when in 2013, when Maduro is in power and the, and the oil money runs out, and part of the reason it runs out is not only because the, the oil prices come crashing down, but also because the productivity of the national oil company also went down because, again, he replaced everyone with cronies who don't really know <laughs> what, what they're doing. So, so, again, there's no money to import now. And before, in the 80s and 90s, even if we had no oil money, we had, you know, ways to produce food and medicine and stuff in Venezuela. But that's all gone now. So, so that's why what brings to the current crisis, which is that in Venezuela, we have no nothing, we cannot produce anything and we have no money to, to import anything. So that's, so, that's when, that's when so, you start to see these, these acute shortages of, of food and medicine. Mm. So uh, just so I understand, let's say you don't have enough wheat to, to make, uh, you know, to make food. Uh, Chavez will decide we'll buy wheat from I don't know I'll just say name a random name from Brazil. He uses oil money to buy wheat from Brazil. Puts and yes. he puts it in the stores in Caracas. And uh, how how does how does he actually distribute the, the the wheat or you know the whatever whatever you know I'm saying wheat but maybe it's like meat or produce or whatever. He puts it in the stores and people buy it uh, to feed their families. Is that how it works? Uh, yes, yes. Basically, there's a little bit of, of blur because the, the, the government became so omnipresent that it's hard to, to see where the line between the private and the public, uh, uh, you know, is. But uh, basically, so an, an important piece of the puzzle is that we have Chavez put currency controls in place as early as 2003. So basically, it, there was no free exchange of Venezuelan money, which is Bolivares, and, and, and foreign currency, which you can use to, to buy things outside of Venezuela. So let's say you, you are a, a private entrepreneur and you want to import things, you have to go to the government. 
and the government will be the one that will actually, you know, take your Bolivares, take your Venezuelan money and give you, uh, you know, foreign money. And for many, many years, the, the currency was artificially inflated. I mean, there was, you know, free market prices, but what Chavez will do, it will give, you know, uh, cheap dollars or, uh, you know, foreign currency at below market rate to importers. So they were they were able to 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 buy food to to buy stuff to import. So so to give you a clear picture, uh, Chavez will not directly buy things, but his policies are what will enable uh, you know people to import foreign goods into Venezuela. And those policies are supported by lots and lots of oil money. Which, exactly. Yeah, 2013, that runs out. Uh, all right, let's go back on the path from 2013 to 2017. Um, yeah, keep going. Okay, so what started to, to happen is that in, after, after yeah, 2013, we're starting to see, you know, really even worse than before, mismanagement of the economy. And, and the prevailing theory is that Chavez, he was a, a strong leader and, and basically he could get people in the government to do whatever they want. But Maduro is not as strong. So there's lots of factions within the government fighting among themselves, doing whatever they want. So, so the, the government and the country becomes even more grossly mismanaged. So we're starting to see really a good shortages of, of food and, and medicine mostly. The economy also goes down with the corresponding increase in, in crime. So at this point, the government becomes, I mean, the, 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 yeah, the, the, the Chavez side, Maduro is a continuation of Chavez, but the, the, yeah, the regime becomes even more unpopular. I mean, up to, oh, in, in, in 2013, you could say that the country was split in halves, uh, which is why you will say that Maduro either narrowly won or narrowly lost the election. But in 2014, it, uh, support for the, for the regime, for the government, started really coming down. And the, and the government's response is to become even more autocratic and starting, you know, using these these more more hardline tools to 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 suppress dissent. And in 2014 is when we start seeing this again, this wave of protest, this wave of marches. But now they are not being allowed to to peacefully protest. That's when we start to see the military and the national guard starting to use, you know, disproportionate, disproportionate uh, force against protesters. This is when we begin to see, you know, mass arrest. And in general, is when we start to see, you know, general disregard and disrespect for, for the Constitution and, and for the law. Uh, Can you give us a few examples of this before we move on to 2017? Okay, well, basically in, in 2014, we had a wave of protests from February to, to May. And basically, all all the all the opposition politicians that took a part on this were were put in jail, were put in jail in in, in trumped up charges. Mm. I mean, even now, uh, the leader of those protests uh, is is in jail, and a lot of, of politicians are are you know international deemed to be political prisoners. So it's really in 2014 that we started to see an increase, a, a really sharp increase in political prisoners in, in Venezuela. I mean, in, so, so you would say in 2003, that, yes? Uh, you would say that the, the regime uh, flipped over to full dictatorship in 2014. Yeah, I, I will say that in 2014, it started to take 
a more uh, a more authoritarian turn. It was it was gradual. It was a gradual change from being a democracy for being a dictatorship, and it's really now in 2017 when when it's now a, a full on 100% dictatorship that is internationally recognized as such. So there was hardly one one single moment where you will say it flipped. It was more or less of a, of a gradual gradual change. Okay, so all right, so let's get to 2017 then. What's the situation now? How much of a dictatorship is it? You were saying 100%. How how would you uh, say that this manifests? And uh, what's the situation with the the people who have you know from 2013 to now uh, become more opposed to the government? Okay. Well, basically, there's now a, a complete disregard on part of the government of, of anything that's, uh, that's related to the law. Uh, for example, uh, a, a very, a very common case is that, uh, the government, you know, everyone that's protesting on the, on the street or everyone who is part of an opposing political party, the government just puts them into, into jail. And even if in many cases the courts say, release them or at least let them go because they have a, a you know a disease release them on humanitarian grounds the the jailers of the regime just disregard that and, and keep people basically kidnapped i mean there was a very a very iconic case just two days ago there was this opposition politician that had been uh, jailed for over a year and she started to get very sick he was denied medical attention And even the courts, you know, said a month ago, just release him, just release him because we don't want him to die in jail. And, and basically the people manning the prisons just didn't want to let him go and, and he died in jail uh, two days ago. And just like that, we have over 300 or I, I don't know the exact figure, but over 100 political prisoners in Venezuela, including uh, mayors. Right? Uh, there has been this worrying trend over the last year where... Uh, the, the Maduro regime just decides to, to remove uh, opposition mayors from office and put them in jail. Uh, there's this chilling statistic that I just came across two days ago again that says that over 30% of Venezuelan people, I mean, that's 20 million people, they, are, they, are, uh, they had their mayors, their democratically elected mayors removed from office And, and, you know, being, you know, being governed by, by deputy mayors because they're, they're legitimate mayors were just imprisoned by the, by the regime yeah. or, or otherwise removed by the, from the regime. Uh, other, other way that you can say this is an open dictatorship is that, uh, we have elections for, for the, for our Congress. Our Congress is called the National Assembly for 2000, in 2015. And this was a huge win for the opposition. In the sense that most of the of the deputies elected were opposition deputies, and you know they started to try they tried to start you know a, a democratic process to to bring some order and stabilize the country. And what has happened is that the government is just ignoring them de facto. I mean, uh, he, he just doesn't doesn't pay any attention to to anything that they do. Their their decisions are are not being respected. Many of them have been jailed anyway. And what I think cemented the, the, the fact that, that Maduro is not a dictatorship is that two or three months ago, he called for what we call a constituent assembly. Uh, basically, a constituent assembly is, so he's is the an assembly to, yes, to remake the constitution. But more importantly, 
uh, he says that the Constituent Assembly is, is a superpower. It means it, 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 it's superior to all, all other powers of the state. So whatever the constituting the constituting assembly says, it it you know is more important or, or has priority over whatever the courts say, the national, the Congress says, or even he himself says. So he called for the election of this superpower, but there are there are two two important things there here. The first is that the constitution requires to hold a referendum to ask the people if there should be a constitution a constituent assembly in the first place. And he just ignored that and skipped the referendum. And the second one is that we already had about, you know, two months ago, the, the election for the Constituent Assembly and the numbers were just completely made up. Uh, the, the, the election was a completely sham election. And it was so obvious that the, the company that is the supplier for the, for the electronic voting machines after the election came up and said that they could not vouch for the validity of the, of the <laughs> results of the, of the election. So, so we gone. So in the Chavez era, we had elections. You could say that they were not fair, that there was some abuse, but now we gone all the way to, you know, completely sham, completely made up numbers in the, in the elections. How uh, dangerous is it to express dissent publicly in the country And I'm even afraid to ask um, how how dangerous is it for you to be speaking on this show right now? Well, for me, it's not so dangerous because I'm not in Venezuela. <laughs> What about right you know your family, or if you ever want to go back, or are you just thinking I'm never going to go back until it's fixed? Okay, well, I'm thinking I'm never going to go back until it's fixed. And, and, you know, there, there are many people speaking against the regimen. I, I only one of many. So, so I don't think, you know, they will go as far as to target my family. Really, the, the government has taken what I will call a, a, a surgical approach to repression, which is uh, not, not mass shootings, not mass jailings, but enough to instill fear in the people. So, for example, uh, uh, there have been you know, maybe 10 or 20 people who had been jailed by tweeting against the regiment, just by tweeting, using Twitter to speak against the regime. Mm. And of course, there, there's thousands, tens of thousands of people who are, who are, you know, tweeting against the regiment, but just by hailing, you know, just by putting into jail, a small fraction is enough to, to instill fear and to say, this could happen to me. Again, when we had, we had a massive wave of protests uh, from uh, this year, from, again, February until, I guess, June. And what will happen is that the government will go out and kill one or two protesters every day. So he will not, you know, he will not go out with machine guns and, and kill thousands of people, but he will kill one or two. So, again, enough to instill fear in people that, you know, if we, I go out and protest, I may be killed. Mm. That is uh indeed that does sound like a dictatorship and it's freaking scary um it's really interesting to see all of the uh the way things degenerated from uh a bad situation which i think everyone agrees it's not like things were ideal uh That's before true. into this horror which I mean, everyone's fleeing now, as we discussed in the beginning of the of the show, and mostly, uh, I'm guessing it's middle class to upper class people who can afford to leave the country. Um, 
And okay, the, well, the, basically, the, you will say that there, there, there are like two, two, two emigration movements. So there are like, the, like when you say upper class and middle class people who are fleeing in a more orderly manner, which is, you know, go to a country, go to an European country or go to the US or go to Argentina and hopefully with a visa, with a chance to get a job there. And, and we have been seeing that for, for years now, for the past 10 years or so now. But now, as the crisis deepens the, over the past two years, we have seen a second wave of, of migrants, which may be more accurate to call refugees. And they are just, you know, poor people who are crossing the border on foot uh, and, you know, just, just, just arriving uh, somewhere with, you know, no food, no luggage, no means to, to sustain themselves. So, so basically it's, it's, the, it's the two kinds of migration now. Right. So people are, and again, just to be clear, the people who are fleeing, just walking away is because there is no food and no work, obviously, but even worse, no food or why are they leaving exactly? Yeah. I, I would say that the number one reason is because there is no food. The, the, the food situation in Venezuela is, is really bad. I mean, uh, most people I know have lost weight over, over the, the past two or three years. There, there's really, I mean, uh, I think everyone is suffering more or less, even uh, everyone is eating less than before. Uh, depending on how bad your situation is, you, you, you're losing more or less weight. And for, for the really destitute people, for the really poor people, uh, they're basically rummaging the trash to, to, to find food. I mean, mm. if you, if you go to Caracas right now, the first thing that, that will, you know, grab your attention is that everywhere there's people, you know, just scavenging and rummaging through trash to find something to eat. So it's, 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 it's a really desolate situation. Mm. Um, all right. Well, I think we've more or less covered, uh, what we what we needed to and and i hope people understand a little bit better uh what's happening in the country before we we leave however i'd like to ask you first how do you see the situation uh evolving although I, that's going to be a guess i suppose um and and you know is there anything else you would like to add uh, that i didn't think to ask okay uh, yes, well, I, I don't mean to be a downer, but the, the, the situation is, is really depressing. There, there was this this famous article by this this journalist, an international journalist. Her name is Hannah, but I forget her, her, her last name. She was a, a journalist stationed in Venezuela precisely during the crisis, from 2013 to 2017, when they had to, to pull her out. I think she was with Associate Press. And she said that, just because a situation is bad doesn't mean that it won't get worse because a lot of people a lot of people assume that the situation is so bad in Venezuela that it can only get better now but sadly that is not the case and it's it's it's, it's really depressing because every every day that happened that goes on not only have you, not only you have people dying from hunger but you have children who are being born and not getting enough food, you know, to, to be able to sustain themselves. And even if they don't die, they, they you know, they develop in not the correct way. So they, they grow up with, with you know, uh, beer, not with birth defects, with, with defects on their, on their cognitive and physical abilities. So this, this spells a really bad time 
for for Venezuela in the future because even if things were to be fixed now or even in a year or two years, you you we already have a whole generation of of people who who you know suffer severe malnutrition at birth or close to birth, and that is not going to enable them enable them to grow up to be to be normal. So so the situation has both short term and and long term consequences. Uh, uh, what what I would like to to people to to know and and understand is that the situation in Venezuela is is, is really bad. I think it, it's hard to 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 explain the situation in a way that doesn't sound exaggerated or 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 or, or uh, overly dramatic, but it's, it's really quite bad. And and right now, what Venezuela needs the most is is international support because it's it's quite clear that we are not going to be able to solve this situation by ourselves. I mean, uh, uh, we already tried, you know, removing Maduro through every democratic or using nonviolent resistance means, which is what all the protests in the first half of this year were, and, and they failed. And they failed because, you know, we have a, a bunch of, of, of thugs, a bunch of criminals with weapons uh, ruling the country and really no way to, to unseat them. So... It's it's really uh, the the international community that needs to to step in and and do something. That do something. Uh, it, it's hard to say what was the was was the the right approach. I not I not a, you know an, a political expert. I'm not an historian to to say what's the right way. I don't know if that means sanctions. I don't know if that means you know a, a Noriega style operation when there's a commando that comes in and kidnaps Maduro. I don't know if that's a, you know, the UN sends, uh, sends uh, you know, the, the blue helmets, the peacekeepers. I don't know if that's a military intervention, but I think either of those, it, it will be better than the, than the continuation of, of what's happening right now, which is the, the situation in Venezuela just getting worse and worse and, and millions of people suffering. So, so yes, what, what I would love to see happen is even more interest from, from the international community, even more pressure from from all the countries in the world against against the regime. So so we can really see you know meaningful change in Venezuela as soon as possible. And and when that happens, it doesn't mean that that Venezuela will will get better overnight. I mean, I think that at best we have you know after a change in government, we probably have you know a good ten to twenty years of rebuilding to be done. Before we get even to the to the uh, to the to where we were before Chavez, we were still not a good situation. Uh, but but also time is the, of the essence here. Uh, the sooner regime change happens, the sooner we can start to to rebuild. And so the the bands of thugs that you were talking about, uh, again, just to be clear, they're profiting from the situation, right? It's similar to any dictatorship or communist regime. They are, they're, you know, they're making money and they're living a good life. I'm guessing all of those, uh, this, this, uh, regime and, and infrastructure that was put in place by the regime, um, they are not, they don't want to, uh, give away the power because they're happy with the situation, I'm guessing. Uh, yes, that, that, that's part of the reason they don't want to give power. But yes, to, to be clear, I mean, to, to give an, uh, an idea over the path, over the past 15 years, Venezuela received as much money as Dubai and as the United Arab Emirates. 
And you can see the change that this country has had over the past 15 years. I mean, they, they have huge buildings, amazing infrastructure now. And we in Venezuela had the same amount of money. And what happened? Well, it, well, it went, 90% of it went into the pockets of, of the people who are, you know, now, now leading the regime. And they don't want to leave for two reasons. One is just like you mentioned, you know, they, they have lots of money, they have lots of power, Basically, they, they, you know, they, 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 they can do whatever they want. But also, uh, many of them, if not all of them, are, are guilty of multiple crimes against humanity, crimes against human rights. So they know that they know that if they leave power, they are probably going to jail. I mean, it's not like they're going to be able to go somewhere and enjoy all, all, all their ill-gained money. They're, they are probably going to prison if they leave power. So, so, so that's that's a, also a problem that many of them don't really have an, an out, and, and if, which which is why many of them would rather you know see see the country uh, you know burn uh, or, or and rule over the ashes than than you know than giving power than giving away power. Okay. All right. Well, I think we're reaching the end of this uh, this episode. Uh, thank you so much, Saul, for for being on and uh, taking the time to talk about about all of this to us. Um, is there any online presence you want to tell people about if they want to reach out to you or, or find you on the internet? Anything you you want to promote? Okay. Well, yes. If they want to find me, I am on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is in Spanish, Saul Gede which in English will be E-S-A-U-L-G-D. Uh, if, you, you know, if you want to ask uh, any questions about Venezuela, I'm always more than happy to, to answer. And also there's this great resource that reports on, on what's happening in Venezuela in English. It's called caracaschronicles.com. Uh, Caracas, as in, you know, the capital of Venezuela, Caracas, and Chronicles, as in the English word Chronicles. So if, if you want to know, you, you want to be more informed, you want to get more first-hand accounts of what's happening in Venezuela, that's really a, a great resource for, for English speakers. And I'm not, I'm not related to them in, in any way. I just like the website. All right. <laughs> Cool. I, I will include the link. I mean, the link to your Twitter account and to Caracas Chronicles uh, in the show notes. So if people are interested, hopefully they can go and find them there. Um, uh, well, you know, it's kind of hard to end the show with such <laughs> a, <laughs> a difficult topic, but uh, I guess I'm going to try. Um, uh, again, thank you very much, Saul, for being on. For me, if you want to find me, it's uh, not Patrick on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, you can also find the show at frenchspin.com uh, and you can also find uh, ways to support, well, the one way uh, to support the show uh, on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the Phileas Club you have the links in the show notes and uh, you can do that very easily you can support the show one two three bucks a month uh, if you or an episode rather uh, if you think we're doing a, an okay job if you uh, think we're informing you in ways that you won't find it uh, somewhere else or maybe we're uh, sometimes even entertaining you and making those uh, pieces of news interesting and uh, making you listen to those things even though you wouldn't if it was just on 
I don't know, CNN or the New York Times or Fox News or whatever your preferred method of information is, um, please consider going to patreon.com slash the fetus club and uh, giving a little bit of uh, a little bit of money. It's very easy to do. It takes a couple of minutes and you can stop wherever you want, whenever you want, if you choose to. And uh, a million thanks to the people who decide to uh, actually support the show because you are the reason it actually happens. So thank you very much. And you're the reason why why we uh, can do something like this and get you those special episodes as well, uh, which we probably wouldn't do if it wasn't, um, if we weren't getting the support we are. So again, patreon.com is the way to support us. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back very shortly with another uh, regular episode. And again, to to conclude the episode, I really want to thank Saul for, for being on. You've uh, painted a, a really interesting picture of, of, the, um, of the situation and, and something that I think we couldn't have uh, done without someone like you taking the time to uh, talk uh, about all of this to us. So thank you very much, Saul. Thank you very much for the invitation, and I see it this way as, you know, my small contribution to what's happening in Venezuela. The, the more people that know and have an accurate picture of what's happening, the better. I hope that happened a little bit uh, with this episode. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.